lain for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. The problem was not the miraculous healing, but the problem was that Jesus had healed him on a Sabbath. And Jesus answered their persecution, in verse 16, with, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. The Jews understood that last statement, that Jesus was claiming to be equal with God. In other words, a blatant expression of blasphemy. And interestingly enough, Jesus neither denies nor nor debates their understanding. But he does go on to answer them. And his response is reported at the beginning of verse 19 and runs all the way through to the end of verse 47. All the words of Jesus. There is no other dialogue here. In these verses, Jesus is doing all the talking and we're doing the listening. The first part of his response, you remember that Jesus disclosed how making himself equal with God is displayed in his relationship with the Father. The relationship was characterized by collaboration, intimacy, compatibility, and clarity. All in perfect harmony. The perfect relationship. Last week we considered verses 25 through 30, and here we discovered Jesus disclosing how making himself equal with God is displayed in his power over death. Later Jesus would claim, I am the resurrection and the life. And that is true, both for those who are spiritually dead and those who are physically dead. So in a world where physical death and spiritual death are unavoidable realities of life, Jesus' power over death offers hope. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, the Apostle John would later write, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's life both now and forever. And so this morning we want to direct your attention to verses 31 through to 40. And here we will find Jesus pointing out how making himself equal with God, was endorsed by the Father. It's a threefold endorsement. But before we go there, I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading from God's Word this morning. Let's begin at verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. 
He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, you, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. May God help us to understand his word this morning as we meditate on these verses of scripture. You may be seated, please. Father, the writer of the Proverbs assures and warns us every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. Thank you for this, your word to us this morning from John chapter 5. Give us ears to hear and eyes that see so that we may understand it as it was intended. May it become a shield for our faith. We pray that this spiritual exercise of exposing ourselves to the preaching of your word week after week, month after month, year after year in the context of this local assembly of like-minded believers 
will transform us. That little by little, from the inside out, we would become more and more like Jesus. And so, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This past Friday was a little bit of an anniversary for Cynthia and me. On January 31st, 2017, at 1.41 p.m., I pushed send. To Mr. Dan DeWitt, Chairman of the Search Committee. I am writing in response to the Associated Gospel Church website posting inviting applicants to apply for lead teaching pastor of the Rock Community Church in Woodstock, Ontario. Please find attached to this email a short biography and resume for your consideration. I'm not able to provide the requested, quote, at least five sermons you have delivered, end of quote, but because of the vocational ministry roles in which I've been engaged over the past almost 10 years. Although this will place us at a distinct disadvantage during the, this early stage in your vetting process, I'm hoping we can discuss some potential alternatives. Additionally, I'm confident that I can provide references that would be willing to speak to my commitment and skill in presenting the Word of God. I would welcome an opportunity to speak with you further about the filling of this position of lead teaching pastor at the Rock Community Church. Please contact me at 803-760-8794, cell, or by email. Thank you for your consideration. We'll look forward to receiving your response. Grace and peace to you, George. That was one year ago this past Friday. Unbelievable. It's hard to believe. In some ways, it feels like we've been here forever. It just feels like home. And I don't know whether I've told you lately, but I want to say it again this morning, that we are so grateful to be here. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Cynthia and I are absolutely delighted. Thank you, Rock Community Church. However, I wrote this from Jupiter, Florida, and I didn't appreciate shoveling the driveway at, at 7 o'clock this morning. But we'll get over that. At the bottom of that resume that was attached to the email was this statement. References available upon request. And that's pretty standard protocol when you're this early in the application process. Eventually, I would submit names like George and Laura Bradford our 35-year ministry mentors. Dr. Paul Magnus, a recognized leadership guru across Canada, who was at first one of my professors and trusted advisors, and then became a friend and colleague. Paul has taught and led at Briarcrest schools for over 50 years now. Dr. Michael Puelke, a longtime friend who is now serving as the president of Briarcrest College and Seminary. And of course, Dr. Bill Fiji, president of our Associated Gospel Churches of Canada, of which the Rock Community Church is part. All those individuals 
they know me well. And they can speak to my character and competencies. They would confirm the truthfulness of the details that are spelled out in my resume. And that's what referees do. They confirm what we are saying about ourselves to be true. You see, referees authenticate resumes. Now, Jesus didn't submit a resume, but he did acknowledge the need for a referee, someone who could speak in support of his claims, someone who could endorse or authenticate what he was saying about himself. Notice verse 31. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. So Jesus was admitting that a resume without references or unsubstantiated claims about oneself are absolutely worthless. If all a person has are their own words about themselves, then don't believe them. We've been taught almost since the time we could crawl not to believe everything that we hear, right? Or read. You know, Moses shared a similar concern back in Exodus chapter 3. The Lord had spoken to him from a burning bush. He was so-called offering Moses a new assignment. He wanted him to return to the land of Egypt from where he had run from and lead his people, the Israelites, out from underneath oppressive Egyptian slavery. I can almost hear Moses. uh, Wait wait a minute. In fact, in chapter 4 of Exodus, it begins with these words. Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Moses was anticipating that his claims about himself would be questioned. The Lord, in response to Moses' legitimate concern, enabled him to to perform two miraculous signs that were intended to authenticate his testimony about himself. The fact that the Lord had indeed commissioned him to return to Egypt. The first involved his shepherd's staff. The second, his own arm. You see, when he threw his shepherd's staff on the ground, it turned into a serpent. When he reached out and grabbed it by its tail, it was once again his shepherd's staff. And then his arm, when he put it into his cloak, he pulled it out, and it was leprous. When he repeated the action and pulled it out, it was once again whole. Those two signs were given by the Lord to authenticate Moses' testimony about himself as he returned to Egypt, sent by God to deliver his people from oppressive Egyptian slavery. So these two signs served in the same way that referees 
authenticate resumes. Notice verse 32. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that that testimony which he gives about me is true. So who was that? There is another who testifies about me. Look down at the first part of verse 37. And the Father who sent me, has test, he has testified of me. So Jesus was calling on God the Father as his referee. Referees authenticate resumes. And although he didn't submit a resume, Jesus presented God the Father as his referee. And the Father's authentication of Jesus' testimony about himself was a threefold endorsement. In other words, the Father gives three good reasons why you and I should believe that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. Look at verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. The Father authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember how John the Baptist identified himself when confronted by those scribes and Pharisees, that delegation that had been sent out from the city of Jerusalem? Turn back to John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 22. Then they said to him, Who are you? so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, this is John the Baptist speaking, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So John the Baptist presented himself as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy given some 700 years prior to John the Baptist's birth. And speaking of his birth, let's turn back to Luke chapter 1. And we'll do a flyover of Luke's record of the birth of John the Baptist, beginning at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. I'll drop down to verse 13. 
But the angel said to him, that's to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Drop down to verse 17. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Flip over to verse 24. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. And then drop down to verse 36, or 66 of Luke chapter 2, or Luke chapter 1. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then is this child turned out to be, for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Now keep that in mind as we turn back to John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 6 of John chapter 1. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Here's John's life and ministry. And certainly it wasn't a virgin birth, but it had to be the next best thing to that. John the Baptist was a miraculous fulfillment of Isaiah's 700-year-old prophecy. He was God's messenger, God's forerunner, sent to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of their long-awaited Messiah. After 400 years of silence, John burst on the scene, delivering a message from God. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, There has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. And those are the words of Jesus talking about John the Baptist. Up to this point in time, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Not Abraham. Not Moses. Not King David or even King Solomon. The Father authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through John the Baptist. And so how did John the Baptist do that? Well, let's begin with those infamous words that provide an example of both humility and self-deprivation that we've used down through the centuries. Turn again to John chapter 1 and notice beginning at verse 26. John answered them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then verse 33, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Verse 35, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Father authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through through John the Baptist. John the Baptist sort of picked Jesus out of the lineup, if you will. But these words have come not only out of the mouth of John the Baptist, but they were actually delivering God's stamp of approval. You know, that still happens today. God still has his spokespersons who by word and or deed deliver his stamp of approval. Happens in our world, even today. In fact, as I was working on this point earlier this week, my iPhone dinged. And when I looked at the message, it was from Fox News, an update. And the headline read, Joy Villa, Why Choose Life Over Abortion? The incredible journey that began for me at 20. Let me just read you an excerpt of that article. It begins, Why did I wear a fetus surrounded by bright, a brightly colored womb on my dress and purse with Choose Life? to the 60th Grammy Awards? I'm pro-life. After a contraceptive failed, I became pregnant at age 20. I found an adoption agency that helped me every step of the way, including taking care of my day-to-day living expenses. We placed my baby with a loving, caring family in an open adoption which meant I could still be involved in her life. I have a growing and wonderful relationship with my daughter today who calls me Mama Joy because of my decision to choose life. Adoption gave this terrified young woman the greatest gift of her life, a second chance. A second chance to do the right thing. A chance of healing. A chance to be a mom. To celebrate my beautiful daughter, I hand-painted my Grammy gown with a recreation with a recreation of her sonogram when I was eight months pregnant. You know, it seems to me that the father stamp of approval is still going out to this. His endorsement to choose life. That message was delivered through Joy Villa at the 2018 Grammys. In the same way that John the Baptist delivered the Father's stamp of approval, 
In the same way, referees authenticate resumes. The fathers authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through John the Baptist. But the father also authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through the works of Jesus. Notice verse 36 of John chapter 5. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Think about what we've seen and heard in the first five chapters of the Gospel of John. And it's just the first five of 21. But let's just run through them. In chapter 2, we have a miracle of Cana where Jesus saved a wedding festival by turning water into wine. The best wine, I might add. From there, he cleaned house at the temple courtyard in the court of the Gentiles. He got rid of all the money changers and and animals and and merchants. At the end of chapter 2, he refuses to entrust himself to those who were believing in him Because he knew what was in man. Display of supernatural knowledge? Perhaps. In chapter 3, he is approached by the teacher of Israel. The teacher of Israel. Nicodemus. An elite member of the Jewish religious establishment. And Jesus challenges him with the need to be reborn spiritually in order to have eternal life. In chapter 4, we find Jesus exposing an immoral, despised Samaritan woman. He discloses personal details about her life that she would have preferred to, to keep hidden. As a result, the woman and many in her city came to believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Their words. Returning to his home province, Jesus is approached by a a government official with a, a dying son. Jesus speaks a word and the nobleman returns home to Capernaum to a healed son. In chapter 5, we've already mentioned it, Jesus heals instantaneously a man who had been lame for 38 years. All of these in just the first five chapters. Turn with me to John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. This is really gives us the reason why John, the Apostle John, sat down and wrote this gospel account. Beginning at verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these have been written, John goes on to say, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. But then take that, many other signs that aren't written here, and now drop down to the very last verse in the the book, chapter 21, verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that 
even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Wow. Turn back to John chapter 5. The passage that we're looking at. Notice the opening phrase of verse 30. All these things that Jesus has done. And verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. How about verse 19 of the same chapter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe, the works that I do in my Father's names, these testify of me. Chapter 14, verse 10, But my Father who lives in me does His work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Do you hear what I'm hearing in these verses? The works of Jesus are, in fact, the works of God, the works of the Father. I can do nothing on my own initiative. And the Father authenticates Jesus' testimony about himself by his works. Just like that shepherd's staff or that Leprous arm. The Lord authenticated Moses' testimony, the enslaved Israelites in Egypt. Likewise, he's authenticating Jesus' ministry and works. The works of Jesus delivered the Father's stamp of approval, his endorsement. In the same way a referee authenticates resumes, The Father authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through the works of Jesus. Thirdly, the Father also authenticated Jesus' testimony of himself through the Scriptures. Look at verse 37. The Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. You search the scriptures because you think that in in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify, testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus in verse 37 and 38 really delivers a four-part indictment against those who were seeking all the more to kill him. Notice. They have never heard the Father at any time. One. Secondly, they have never seen His form. Thirdly, the Father, the Father's word does not abide in them. And fourthly, they refuse to believe the one who, who was sent by the Father. Folks, that is a great description of someone who is spiritually dead.
these Jews desperately needed to hear the voice of the Son and live. But instead, they were seeking all the more to kill him. Some of them had even concluded, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 22, he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. By the prince of demons, he's driving out devil, demons. And eventually it would become, away with him, away with him, crucify him. It's frightening to think that someone can possess and diligently search the Scriptures. Look at verse 39. And yet miss the message that God intends. Listen to Eugene Peterson's rendering of verse 39. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the trees for the forest. These Scriptures are all about me. God said things and did things in the Old Testament which were intended, if these Jews had understood them, to provide insight into God's plans and purposes and would have prepared them to recognize Jesus and respond appropriately to him. The God of the Old Testament became flesh and dwelt among them, set up his tent in their backyard, and yet they did not receive him. Notice the last phrase of verse 39. It is these that testify about me. The Old Testament scriptures, God's special written revelation of his person, his plans, and his purposes, authenticate Jesus' testimony of himself. The New Testament hasn't been written yet when these words were first spoken. But notice the the tense of the verb here. Testify. It's ongoing. These Old Testament scriptures continue to testify about Jesus to this very day. You and I can still find Christ in these Old Testament scriptures. Listen to these verses from the end of Luke's account. At this point in the story, Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, and he's now risen from the dead. And so in his post-resurrection body, he has joined two of his disciples as they've left the city of Jerusalem and are making their way back home following the the death of Jesus, to Emmaus. Look at verse 25. Let's start there, of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, that's Jesus speaking, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. It was not necessary for the Christ to, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things And to enter into his glory. Then, and here's what I want you to see. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. He, Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. 
So Jesus turned to the Old Testament scriptures to explain or to point out that his testimony about himself was absolutely true. The Old Testament scriptures, for those who have eyes to see and ears that hear, deliver the Father's stamp of approval. In the same way referees authenticate resumes, the Father authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through the Old Testament scriptures. And today we have the added advantage of the 27 New Testament books. The Father authenticated Jesus' testimony about himself through John the Baptist, through the works of Jesus himself, and through the Old Testament scriptures. But you and I, we all know that all referees are not commit, are not created equal, right? The value of a reference is based on a referee's credibility or trustworthiness. And God the Father is a trustworthy referee. Trustworthy can be defined as deserving of trust or confidence, dependable, reliable. Here are a few characteristics that make God an outstanding referee. 1 Corinthians chapter 28, verse 9. Let me read them for you. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is hidden from his sight. The psalmist describes the Lord aware, the Lord's awareness this way. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never, never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride in the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. If I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. The Lord's presence and awareness, the details of our lives are inescapable. He knows us better than we know ourselves. In fact, we're told that he has the hair on our head numbered. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. A referee who tells the truth at all times. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. 100% consistent, not wishy-washy. He is trustworthy in everything he does. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Psalm 111, verse 7. The works of the of his hands are truth and justice. His precepts are sure. He says what he means, and he means what he says. God the Father is a referee that can be trusted. And he was a referee for Jesus. 
So where does that leave you and I? How are we to respond to the Father's endorsement of Jesus' testimony about himself? I would say, believe and be. Believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Fully God and fully man. The Apostle John would later write these words in his first epistle. Since we believe human testimony, right? Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. Believe that Jesus was who John the Baptist said he was. Remember? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Believe Jesus did what the Scriptures say he did. His works. Believe those. And not just the the turning water into wine and the healings or the feedings of thousands or even walking on water. Not just those, but believe that he died as a substitute, paying the price for your sin and mine, satisfying God's punishment for sin so that in rising from the dead, he conquered death so that we too can anticipate a similar resurrection. Life beyond the grave. Thirdly, believe Jesus was part of God's original plan. A plan that we can catch glimpses of in the Old Testament scriptures that reinforce our confidence in God's plan of redemption down through the ages. I have a note written in my Bible under verse 40 in John chapter 5. Unbelief is never due to a lack of evidence. Believe. And then be. Be who God has called you to be and enabled you to be. In other words, work out the salvation that God is working in you. Ensuring that your life is endorsable. It's interesting, in Job chapter 1, verse 8, it reads, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Job was endorsable. Are you? Am I? At our first Saturday of the month, men's Bible study and breakfast, Ray leads us through the qualities listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They're actually aimed at overseers specifically, but really they can be applied generally to all believers. And the umbrella quality in that study is must be above reproach doesn't mean that we're perfect. It's not what that word means. But it does mean 
that we are reputable people, both with believers and unbelievers. Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Be someone who is above reproach. James chapter 2, verse 14 and 17 and verse 26 reads, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Be someone whose works speak for themselves. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Be someone who is being transformed by the word of God. Father, give us courage and strength. Keep us from fear and discouragement. Enable us to work out the salvation that you are working in us. We ask these things by the power of your spirit and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.